All right, let's continue uh, with the lecture. Um, we have uh, seen the uh, first section, the motivational part of the introduction. Now we go to uh, an important topic, data flow analysis. Um, later there will be a whole chapter where we deepen that topic because it's a central and important topic in uh, this lecture and in statical analysis in general. But um, let's just have a glimpse at uh, what it's about. Um, the whole lecture uh, tries to be precise. We focus on perhaps not a realistic language, but we focus on a what you might call a toy language, uh, capturing essential aspects uh, of programming languages. And in this case, uh, we are dealing uh, with a prototypical small imperative language. In this case means in this section, because later there will be also functional languages covered. Um, the language is basically untyped. It has uh, simple control structures like while, conditional, sequence, sequencing, sequential composition, I mean, doing one thing after the other. It can store data in variables, um, but there are no complicated type systems. There's basically numbers and booleans. Um, the way that we deal with it is we do not give concrete syntax, but the syntax that we are giving is abstract syntax. If you have been uh, to the um, compiler course or any compiler course, you will have uh, uh, you will remember that abstract syntax is kind of like the outcome of the parser. The the, the, the lexicon parser take concrete syntax, actual code arranged in lines, encoded in a particular character set, uh, whatever. Um, but parsing then uh, spits out the syntax of the program in the form of a tree, and this is what we work with. So we are not dealing with uh, uh, parsing problems, ambiguity, precedence, and whatever. We just uh, take syntactic trees and work with them. Of course, often we don't write them down as trees. We just still write them down as a sequence, but we understand uh, when reading it that what that is supposed to be is is a tree. And if it is not clear in which way the tree is shaped, we use uh, things like parentheses or whatever, uh, but uh, it's not meant as concrete syntax, it's meant as abstract syntax, and abstract syntax typically uh, would not uh, have this kind of helpful notations like uh, what we see here, like uh, parentheses and so on. All right, now um, let's have a concrete look at the abstract syntax of the while language. Um, um, syntax, whether it's concrete or abstract, is given by grammars, in particular context-free grammars. We do not go into details what context-free grammars is. We just look at the notation and we hope that uh, uh, it's clear enough. So let's look at the abstract syntax of the while language. This is um, a context-free grammar. Actually, it's a notation for a context-free grammar. It's called BNF or extended BNF. BNF stands for the inventors of that uh, kind of notation. And what we see here um, is 
the syntactic categories uh, that we are dealing with. There are statements, he called S statements. There are Boolean expressions, he called B. Um, and arithmetic expressions, uh, he called A. Let's look at the statements. It should be fairly uh, obvious how to interpret. It says that um, a statement represented by S is either one of those, it's this or this or this, uh, here in the new line, uh, or this or this. And uh, the, the bar, similar like in regular expressions, denotes alternatives, and this is the definitorial equal sign. So it says this uh, statement is this, defined as this and this, and so on. Now we have a skip statement, which does not do anything. It will not be hard to analyze, but we add it anyway. And there's an assignment. X is assigned to an arithmetic expression. Arithmetic expressions are this form. Sequential composition, conditionals, and whiles. Um, since it's a minimalistic language, uh, it could be that in a concrete syntax, uh, there would be more syntax stuff. Like there could be a one-armed if then else. Um, however, um, the analysis profits from being compact if we reduce the abstract syntax, so the, the, the analyzer will not have to deal with so many cases. So one strategy uh, would be, if we would have concrete syntax, is to have a one-armed uh, conditional be compiled in a two-armed conditional, maybe one, um, the else branch, when it's missing, is filled up with a skip. But that's kind of like uh, a standard thing that one does, even in a concrete compiler, um, the concrete syntax may um, support variations of a similar con concept like conditionals or loops. There might be a for loop, there might be a until loop. However, um, it's, it's useful to condense it down and, and have a minimalistic uh, setup there, which is what we see here. Um, as for the um, expressions, uh, um, we have here uh, arithmetic expressions and Boolean expressions called A and B and there are operations on them. We don't even go into details. We could, you could uh, specify and in a concrete compiler, you would have, of course, implement these alternatives to say that what you can do is plus minus divide, division and whatnot. And for the Booleans, you could have and or exclusive or, or things like that. And here there could be larger, smaller, equal and so on. And this is a relational operation. So a number, is larger than another number, and the result is a Boolean expression. So we said the syntax or the language is basically untyped, which is true. We don't see any types. However, in a way, it's typed uh, in such a way that uh, here you are only allowed to have expressions of that form, and uh, uh, at that point you don't have. You only have expressions of that kind. Um, why do we do this restriction is pretty um, silly one and it is unrealistic one anyways uh, but uh, the restriction is basically done because right now we are not interested in types there will be a section covering types and there the type system will be much more complicated or more complicated let's say um, and expressive and in that case uh, we will have types and we will not be able to encode, so to say, the typing in the syntax, so to say. All right, but for the time being, being interested in data flow analysis, uh, we want to get the types out of uh, out of our our uh, view for a moment. All right, so this is would be um, the abstract syntax. Data flow analysis 
will not work on abstract syntax directly. It works on another intermediate representation, which is known as a control flow graph. Abstract syntax, you could see that as an intermediate representation, so a representation which is inside uh, the compiler for the purposes of the compiler. Um, and uh, there are many of those intermediate representations. Abstract syntax is one, this is the starting point for us, but the control flow graph is another one which is uh, very important and many compilers have that. And we will look at that next. The way that it is done is uh, we kind of like sketch how you can get a control flow graph out of a tree. So it's basically going from a tree, um, the, gra the grammar describes tree, into a control flow graph. We sketch that, uh, but we see on an example and it should be pretty uh, transparent. The way that it's done is we put in the first step labels on the abstract syntax. So this is the abstract syntax, but afterwards in the next slide, so to say, there will be a labeled version of the abstract syntax. And the labels correspond uh, to kind of like where I am in the program. If I have a um, sequential composition, the program under execution in our head could be here, could be inside the S, could be between the two S's and so on. And uh, in order to pinpoint, to point to with a finger where uh, the execution of a program is, the control, so to say, of the program is, um, that's what we use the labels for. So um, that means we take the abstract syntax, we associate flow information, control flow information, um, by the notion of labels. And that leads to the concept of elementary block, which is basically a labeled item. So it's a piece of syntax, an elementary piece of syntax um, attached with a label. Um, all right, their syntax, the syntax then becomes like this. So this is the same syntax, the same grammar, however, extended by additional information, which is the labels. The labels uh, are written here in superscript with these brackets. How it's written doesn't matter. It's just for readability in a way. Um, now, uh, we see that assignments are labeled, the skip is labeled, the condition is labeled, the condition, sorry, the Boolean condition in the conditional uh, is labeled and the condition in the while loop uh, is labeled somehow. So this all always the basic, the elementary statements, elementary in the sense that there is no sub statement anymore. So this one has sub statements, it's a compound statement. This one is an elementary statement and the elementary statements are all labeled. In the grammar, we don't say where the labels come from, but in principle, you should uh, think of, um, if, you, if you're given a program, every, every elementary statement gets a different label. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? So you want to say, um, I'm, I'm at point one, I'm point two, at point three, and so on, and therefore you use different labels. You can even imagine it's just integers, though, um, labels is more like an abstract concept you must have enough labels so that uh, every statement uh, gets a different label um, we don't think of them as integers necessarily though integers might be a good way of uh, actually implementing them sometimes we just use one two three uh, but it's not numbers it's not integers from the programming language it's labels okay um, for people from the compiler uh, course 
um, the notion of labels also showed up there. There it was a bit more concrete in an intermediate representation, intermediate code, and there it was jump labels, but it's the same mechanism. Uh, there you could say in in uh, the intermediate in a lower level of the compiler, um, intermediate code or also machine code could say go to label 15. It's kind of like an abstract representation of a line number or an abstract interpretation of uh, sorry, an abstract representation of um, the control where the program currently is. Here you cannot say go to L because it's a structured programming language, uh, namely uh, structured by having these constructs like if and else and while, there is no go to. Um, so therefore it's kind of like on top of the abstract syntax, it's not part of the official abstract syntax. Anyway, the concept, if you had been at the, uh, at the compiler lecture, uh, the, the concept of label is exactly the same in a way. All right. Um, well, that is a lot of words. Actually, it's easier than probably what I've explained there. So let's have a look at uh, maybe this program. Um, uh, what it does is not so important. It does the factorial, um, but we look at it uh, more from the structural point of view, from the control flow point of view. Um, here would be perhaps how you could write it. Uh, here would be the version where the text, the program text is um, uh, is labeled. Well, wait a second, it's not the program text. As we said, we are dealing with abstract syntax, meaning that even if I write it as if it would be a, a text or some, some program, what we actually mean is um, this is a tree uh, in a way. And uh, But I don't show the trees because trees are harder to write. But um, this one is an abstract syntax tree where the nodes are labeled. Uh, in the tree, so the labels are label zero, label one, label two, label three, label four. This is a plausible way of labeling the, it, but it's not the only one. It's just maybe the algorithm goes from the front uh, to the end and spits out the numbers in increasing uh, sequence. But uh, the the thing that we need is that the labels are unique, so to say. There's two other uh, remarks uh, that I do here, namely. Um, x is considered the input variable and z is considered the output variable. So uh, what the program is supposed to do is that uh, assume that the, at the beginning of the program x contains an integer uh, larger than uh, zero, let's say, and then at the termination of the program uh, the result uh, is contained in z and that is supposed to be the factorial. But as I said, what, what the program actually does is, is not 100% so important for us. Anyway, so this is now the, abs the labeled abstract syntax tree. Now let's have a look uh, how the uh, control flow graph looks like. Mm, not surprisingly, I mean, it's, it's, it's not super, uh, super hard to imagine. Um, here's a graph. Um, it's a directed graph indicated by the uh, uh, the uh, the edges with a with an arrow tip here. Um, in a control flow graph, this one is then not naturally, so to say, called the, the successor node. This is the successor node of this. This is a successor node of L two is the successor node of um, node number one or label label number one. Um, label or node number two has two successors. Here, one is marked with true and one is marked with false. Um, and the loop, uh, uh, the while loop is represented obviously by an edge which goes back. So there's a cycle in this graph, a loop in this graph, which reflects uh, the behavior uh, of 
the program. Uh, this one would be a tree, so there is no loopbacks in the tree. This is a syntax tree. This is a graph, and it's the graph on which we do the data flow analysis because the data flow very abstractly flows through this and then flows back and flows in this cycle and so on. Um, for a, um, a tree representation is not useful for this kind of uh, uh, thinking. So that's why first we have the abstract syntax tree, then we make a control flow graph, and then the real thing starts, what we're after, the data flow. Um, there's another thing that you may know, or may not, but I say it anyway. Um, what we see here is one label is one node, um, and um, this is often not how concrete implementations would do it. What concrete implementations would do is they would somehow um, uh, take L0 and L1 and lump them together. They lump them together because nothing really interesting is going on. I mean, uh, the flow goes in and, and they, it has no choice. It flows out, it flows in. So. What one could do is one could lump these two nodes together. One could lump these uh, nodes together. Uh, lumping them together is sometimes called uh, basic blocks. These ones are not basic blocks. These are more fine-grained. I call them elementary blocks. Now, why do we uh, go for elementary blocks and not for basic blocks, respectively? Why do concrete implementations go for um, the larger uh, blocks? Basically, um, it's a matter uh, of efficiency. So if you implement uh, that, then later the data flow analysis will, for instance, especially in a loop, will go through this a couple of times. Now, what you could do is you could kind of by lumping them together, could kind of like pre-compute the effect of going through this um, before you actually start the, the looping construct. So if you keep them apart like this, then each time you go to the loop, you triple first this, first this, and then again, first this. And so it's better to make this one in one swoosh, so to say, pre-compute the effect of both the things in one larger effect. And that gives a small boost in efficiency somehow. However, the outcome of the result will be exactly the same. It's only with maybe slightly more efficiency. For us, we do not bother uh, to, um, to do this um, slight uh, improvement, uh, but in practice, you will probably uh, uh, be do that. All right, now, anyway, that is the control flow graph, and it is hopefully easy enough to see. This one is the entry of the graph. Most programs have one entry point. Most programs have one uh, or more exit points. Um, so um, if you want to see the control flow graph in real life, LLVM, uh, here I give the same program in a C somehow, and I feed it into um, some tools in the script. I say uh, what, uh, how you can uh, generate this kind of stuff with CLang and, and some other tools, Dotty and GraphWiz and, and whatnot. And the control flow graph would uh, uh, look like that. Um, we see here that there's some grouping going on. It's a bit more complicated uh, because uh, C is a, uh, or C++ and, and, and LLVM is, is uh, complicated stuff. Um, but we see here the loop 
uh, going back and forth and here's the exit we don't have this entry um, arrow here but well that's how they do it uh, somehow that's how they represent it i mean this is not the data structure itself it's a picture a uh, graphical representation so to say a pretty printed version of the control flow graph it's not the data structure itself one would have to look at the documentation to see the actual definition of how the control flow graph is defined in in uh, LLVM. Often, for instance, I, I haven't checked the LLVM description. Often the control flow graph um, has the following. We see here that uh, this is the first node and this is the, the successor node. And there's an arrow from here to here. Often the actual data structure has a uh, pointer back. And there will be uh, not only does a node know its successor node, a node also know its predece predecessor nodes. That's um, useful for analysis, analysis which work backwards. And since the control flow graph is a data structure used by um, many different kind of analysis, um, it should be prepared that some analysis work backwards and therefore the data structure will have more information than is actually shown here. All right. Um, now, um, let's have a first look at uh, a data flow problem. There are many data flow problems, but we just look at one later. We will see more in the main part of the lecture. Uh, the one that we look at now is reaching definitions. Uh, what is a definition? Well, in the terminology of data flow, um, an assignment to a variable is a definition. Um, so it looks like that. So one could have called it also reaching assignments analysis. Um, but anyway, um, it's called reaching definitions. And by definition, uh, it can be redefined, so to say. So um, if there's an assignment to X, there can be later another assignment to X. So it's not a declaration of a variable or, or something like that. It is really an assignment uh, of a variable. It's called definition. Okay. Now, when I say a simple example, um, it's a prototypical example. So many data flows analysis uh, work kind of like the same as the one uh, that we see here um, and later we will see more data flow analysis and we see the similarities and the differences between them too. However, the principles are all kind of like the same. So we get a good impression here already. Um, now, what is reaching definition? Basically, um, what you are interested in is you look at a definition or an assignment of that form. It occurs in a particular node of the control flow graph or with a particular label uh, somehow it occurs somewhere in the program and then you ask will this value you don't know which value it is but will the content of this variable um, can it influence some later point or some point in the program uh, and it can if there exists an execution from all the execution that a program could do uh, in such a way that x was actually assigned to by this thing here, I mean, by this particular assignment. Um, and uh, it was the last one. So it was not overwritten in the meantime, because then uh, it cannot influence it anymore because um, it in the meantime was overwritten. And it is enough for saying there exists an execution. It's not for all executions. Um, this uh, focus on exist versus for all executions will play a role when we see the other um, analysis later. So this is uh, what um, what it means that a definition or assignment reaches some point. 
Now let's have, uh, I mean, sounds complicated, but actually it's not. So let's have a look at the example. The example asked the question, does this particular um, assignment, the assignment to Y in the node L0, does this reach various points in the program? Now, which points are we looking at? Well, the points that we are looking at could be um, block uh, number labeled 3, L3. Now, it's a bit more fine-grained. It's not that we ask, does this assignment um, in label 0 reach a block labeled uh, 3? We say, does it reach the beginning of this block? Is one question and does it reach the end of that block um, the reason why uh, we separate the beginning of the block or the end of the block is that the answer can change so it could reach this one but perhaps uh, not uh, that one for in i mean in this particular example it's not the case but for instance z could reach this sorry this assignment to z labeled l1 could reach the beginning of this block but at that point, uh, this one is overwritten because it's assigned to Z again. Z is assigned here, Z is assigned then. Therefore, this assignment cannot reach the end of this block, but it reaches the beginning of the block. So therefore, uh, what we uh, have to ask for each of the assignments, we have to uh, ask, um, does it reach um, the beginning, respectively the end of all the six blocks? We have six blocks here. So that is um, kind of like the size of the problem, the combinations of all assignments with all points, and there are 12 points in this program, beginnings and end of uh, six blocks. Yeah, here's kind of like what I said, the points in the program is the entry and the exit to uh, all the elementary blocks. Uh, there is one uh, thing that um, is specific for this reaching definition. Um, when we look at the program, we assume that before the program starts, so at the beginning of before the beginning of the program, variables are already kind of like default-wise assigned to or assumed not to be assigned. That means uh, one has a, a virtual label um, not numbered. It's not called um, minus one or something like that, but it's called a question mark. Uh, here, so there's a special label which is not occur otherwise, and it represents the entry through program. So that means that if I see the pair x at label question mark, it means it's kind of like the initial uh, value uh, of the program, or in this case, the input uh, value, because um, as I mentioned, x is somehow seen to be uh, the input of the program, whereas z is supposed to be interpreted as the exit, uh, as the output, uh, the input and the output of the programs. Now, the full information uh, means um, that we have uh, the entry and the exit for all of those labels. Um, and one way of visualizing that or also implementing it uh, would be a table or an array. Uh, so uh, here would be, um, if, if you look at the, the program again, side by side, so to say, um, you, uh, I think I have also a handout where, you, uh, uh, where I printed uh, the, um, uh, the, um, uh, the control flow graph. What you see is, it says that if you look at a label or block zero, then at the entry of that block, um, all variables come reach um, in their initial shape. So there's all the question mark. However, at the exit of the block, 
um, uh, X still reaches from the original uh, origin, so to say, and Z also from the outside origin, whereas the exit of the first assignment, as far as variable Y is concerned, reaches from label zero. Now, yeah, that's because Y is assigned here. Um, that's kind of like also the coloring scheme. So what I want is here the the gray one is kind of like what does not change and the not so gray one is the one that changes. So it's kind of like the important piece of um, of change. I'm not 100% sure whether one can make uniformly this uh, kind of uh, scheme. But anyway, that that's the intention. Somehow, for instance, here, if you look at the, the last node, uh, again, the last node uh, is a node where Y is assigned to. That means that the value, uh, the, the, this kind of uh, element in this set of uh, reachable definition information changes from here and is replaced by that one somehow because in the last node Z is assigned to. Okay, so this is kind of like a solution. This is reaching a definition uh, uh, um, information. Actually, it's a correct reaching definition solution or safe um, reaching definition uh, solution. Uh, in so far that it reflects um, correct statements about this uh, this factorial uh, factorial program. More can be said about that. Uh, in so far that not only is it the um, correct information, it's the smallest possible correct information at the given choice of abstraction level. Uh, by that I mean the smallest. I mean if you change. Uh, any of the entries here, so you cross out one of them somehow, take any element and you remove one of them, the um, analysis will be incorrect or unsafe. If you add some more entries, just like you, you add here one more with the white spaces, you make the solution larger, it's still safe, but it's no longer the smallest one. This one, if uh, everything is uh, done uh, properly, on the slide is the smallest possible uh, solution for the reaching definition data flow uh, problem. Um, yes, here um, still some remarks, you can read them yourself, um, but maybe here's one in red uh, when saying it's the smallest possible uh, solution, the best information, the most precise uh, over approximation. Um, it's of course still an approximation. I mean, uh, it, it can be the case, not probably in this program, it can be the case that you say this may reach it, but there is no real execution that actually reads it. I think in this particular program, it's not the case. So you can feed in data uh, in such a way that uh, uh, all the information that you find on this thing uh, actually reaches this uh, according to the table. But in general, um, you cannot guarantee that this is a limitation of uh, analysis anyway, uh, but it's the best, the, the smallest uh, solution of the data flow problem, um, as we will see later how, how that is uh, specified. Um, yes, data flow analysis uh, is uh, kind of like a very well-known analysis form. We got a flavor of that already. It based typically on the uh, control flow graph. The control flow graph uh, is done in the first step. One could actually call, so to say, to set up the control flow graph, given the abstract syntax, 
do the control flow graph, this step could be called control flow analysis. However, no one calls control flow analysis in a language like the wild language because the step is kind of like trivial. So control flow analysis uh, is typically, the word is typically reserved for more complicated settings where it's actually not so trivial anymore to do that. Uh, there will be um, uh, a teaser of control flow analysis later in the introductory chapter, but not in this part of the video. Now, what we said so far is, well, we know the control flow graph, we know what the solution to the control flow problem of, in this case, region definition is, but we have not said this. Yeah, but how do you solve the problem and how do you specify the problem? And the way that the problem uh, is specified, this is the solution of the problem, but we have not specified the data flow problem. There are two approaches uh, to that. One is the, uh, or the, the, the book uh, calls it the equational approach, uh, and the other one is the constraint-based approach. Uh, one should say this is a bit a strange or it's not an, it's a bit misleading name in so far uh, that the equational approach is also constraint-based. It's only that the equational approach uses equational constraints, whereas the constraint-based approach uses more general constraints in equations, so to say. So both are constraint-based approaches. Constraints in general are a very important tool or an important uh, way of specifying problems. And once one have the constraints, one need a way to solve the constraint. That's constraint solving then. But let's have a look at the approaches first. <coughs> Excuse me. So from what we have to do is we we are given the uh, control flow graph and then we have to turn the control flow graph uh, into uh, an equation system in the first uh, version. And later then uh, we will have to say something about how we solve uh, the equations and we are in a lucky position that uh, solving them uh, gives a safe approximation. Um, and the solutions are of a form that guarantees that there is a unique uh, best solution. Solutions are not unique, but there will at least be a unique best solution and we will see how that works. Now, when we uh, go uh, to the equations, so now we are, how do you, given a control flow graph, how do you get equations? Um, the way that it's shaped here is there will be two sets of equations. There will be equations which go inside the block. So it says how the exit of a block depends on the entry of a block. Here's, uh, here's an example. These are called equations inside a block or in, in, uh, in more technical terms, intra-block, the people call it. And then there will be equations which are related to the edges, which somehow are equations which relate different blocks or different nodes between each other, they are then consequently inter-block equations. But let's go through them step by step. Let's assume uh, we look at this block. This is part of this uh, factorial program as an assignment. And we say that um, the reaching definitions at the exit of this block zero is the same as uh, at the entry of the block except that you have to remove those pairs from it because you override, so to say, the variable y, so that all the labels that may reach the entry are no longer reaching the exit. However, what you have to do is, of course, that since you assign to y right now at uh, location zero, at label block zero, 
um, this pair reaches obviously the exit. And if you do that, um, we could do a similar thing for uh, node number two, which is in particular uh, simple. This is the elementary block, which does not do any assignment or definition, so nothing changes. And if we uh, fill that out, uh, we get an equation system of that form. We have the exit of block zero, one, two, three, four, and five um, with these uh, uh, equations. So the the exit depends on the entry um, uh, via this um, manipulation of the sets of, of solutions. It's an equation system. So the RD exit zero is considered a variable in a in a constrained uh, system. It's a variable may not look like a conventional variable, but that's uh, how one should think of it when one think of it as a constraint system. Uh, if you can also think of it as a slot in an array, if you concretely then afterwards uh, solve it, but it, it, one way of thinking of it, it's a variable. Okay, now the second uh, type of, um, of um, uh, equations is between the blocks, interblock flow it's called. It corresponds to the edges. And uh, well, there was these arrows from uh, zero to one, from two to three, to three to four, from two to four. These are all kind of like what goes out of one node goes in into the next node. There's only one part where it becomes a bit more interesting. That is when there are two edges uh, going into a node. The, the, the node where there were two edges going in was the node for the loop in this particular example. And what happens then is you take what comes out of one, you take out what comes out of four and make uh, the union, this is set uh, union of that, you just merge them uh, together. Okay, um, that is another, uh, this is the other bunch of equations and that gives a number of equations. I can't remember how many, maybe 12 equations or something like that. Um, ah, and there is sorry, I forgot one. There is one equation related to what flows in from the from the outside of the program, namely, so to say, at the entry of the very first node, node number zero, x, y, and z are all uninitialized or coming from outside. So there is another extra equation. So basically, we have three kind of uh, uh, equations. We have the equation inside a block in block equations we have the equations relating to the edges in block equations and we have uh, in this case one equation uh, for the initial parts where the flow goes in uh, into the program so you could say it's three classes of equations in a way so we have the general scheme here it's kind of like what I said um, um, right now so we have intra block the inter block and the initial uh, kind of equations um, and that then you have an equation scheme all right now the equations are all of a particular form they all say that uh, there's a variable on the left hand side um, and there's a compound expression I mean here it's not compound but here's a, a function applied to, uh, to, uh, to two variables or in this this one kind of like um, there is a variable on the left but it's isolated and there's a variable on the right. In this case, there's only one variable, but could be more, maybe. But um, and you do something on this variable. Now we may think of this not as individual variables, like are the entry zero, are the exit five. There's twelve variables involved. We can think of it as 
um, a vector uh, of a variable or a tuple or something like that. In, in that uh, uh, um, way of thinking, we have 12 variables on the left, rd entry 0 to rd exit 5, and we have some operations uh, on, again, the same variable. So we have an equation of this form, right? rd with this arrow on top, a vector, is f applied to uh, the vector of uh, rd again. Now, this kind of equation is known as a fixed point equation. Well, it's a fixed point because it says, uh, solve, me, uh, solve me this equation by filling it the variables and by applying f to that, the same stuff comes out and that is known as a fixed point. So find me a fixed point or find me fixed points, I should say, because typically uh, in the setting that we are in, fixed points uh, equations have not unique solutions. They have many uh, solutions. The good thing is um, they have exactly one best uh, solution. So the best solution in our case is the most uh, precise one. And that means in our context for the region definition, the smallest ones. So um, the smallest one, uh, th that there is a solution and that there is a best solution rests on certain mathematical facts. We will look a bit at that in the later chapters. Um, but uh, here just the terminology, the, the way or the, 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 the notion that guarantees that this is possible, that there is a smallest uh, solution uh, and it is unique, is known as a lattice, maybe a complete lattice. We don't go very much into the uh, theory, we just work with complete lattices and that's good enough to guarantee. Um, the, what we want, namely uh, best solutions. Actually, I should say that's not all. It's not just that this one is a lattice, but we also need uh, conditions on f, namely that it's a monotone or a continuous function. We will see things like that uh, later, but basically that's the trick of data flow analysis. Write a constraint system, phrase your problem, in this case, uh, maybe reaching definition, in the form that gives rise to a lattice, write down an equation system that treats them as monotone. Uh, we see what monotone means later. And if you have that, there you go. Uh, there are ways how to solve them. We will talk about also algorithms, how to solve them. There are standard algorithms, how to solve them. And actually the solving is pretty efficient. So this is basically what uh, data flow uh, actually is. As I said, there are two uh, flavors of things uh, this this uh, constraint problem one is called equational constraint and the other one is inequational constraints there is not much difference uh, so especially for the setting here the setting of simple data flow analysis reaching definition and so on um, the one the, the thing that we see here is a simple variant of the equation approach there's no big difference somehow um, and also the solution. So everything that I said about lattice and monotone functions and, and, and so on, all of that applies in the, exactly the same way uh, to the inequational approach or the constraint-based approach. So therefore, why do we bother? Well, we don't bother very much anyway, but uh, the point is um, for more complex settings, for functional languages, for instance, or object-oriented languages, when the, the, the stuff gets uh, more complex, than what we are currently seeing. 
um, an inequational approach sometimes adds um, flexibility in writing down constraint systems and the solution get more precise as well. However, in this approach, uh, where we're currently now for the reaching definitions for the wild language, this is not the case. Still, uh, we have a short look at the constraint-based approach simply because uh, maybe it's good to uh, get a simple, uh, a simple setting first before we may go to more complicated ones. All right. So therefore, um, the thing, if you later read it, perhaps you will see it's basically a, a straightforward variation of what we have seen so far. Again, there will be intra-block constraints, there will be inter-block constraints, and there will be initial constraints. So instead of an equation that we had before, we just said at the exit, the flow of uh, at the exit, RD, we do RD again, the flow at the exit of, of, for instance, this block is what comes in minus um, this combination of labels uh, where Y is, um, uh, is concerned, right? So um, previous one, we had here an equation sign and we had a, uh, had a union here somehow, but here we can split it up. We just say at the exit, um, it must be larger than this. And additionally, we, it must be larger than that. And now we kind of like split it up a bit more into two uh, inequations instead of one equation. But conceptually, it's kind of like uh, the same. All right. Um, for the uh, um, trivial case of when nothing happens, for instance, block two, we not say it, they must be equal. We just said, well, it's safe enough. Note we are after safe approximations somehow. It's safe if at the exit you are larger than what comes in. I mean, in effect, of course, um, it should be the same, but we are just specifying. The solution afterwards will um, find a solution which makes them the same. But here we are more relaxed than before. We say safe. In order to be safe, uh, it's good enough that at the exit is larger. All right, and then we write it up, and then we come to this inequation systems for the intra-block constraints. It's kind of like one-to-one -one what we've seen before, except, as I said, we split up the uh, one lines of one equation and two lines of inequations sometimes. Here not, but for most. So we have a bit more inequations, but the inequations are a bit simpler. For the interblock constraints, um, this is the old one. This is the equational approach. Uh, if we now go for the inequational approach, we again split it up. So which means that instead of saying that two is RD exit union RD exit uh, one union RD exit four, we say uh, two must be larger than what comes out of one, and at the entry of two must be larger what comes out of the other node because that was the node where the two uh, um, which had two incoming edges, as I say. Okay, and the initial constraints, we again uh, use an inequation, not an equation, but uh, right. So that, that's kind of like a, a trivial variation of what we've seen before. Instead of equations, we make uh, inequations. However, it's important to see that the inequations all work in one direction. So we cannot somehow, um, yeah, they work in all in one direction. Because what we then do, instead of the fixed point uh, equation, we write a fixed point in equation, so to say. So that's why one doesn't call this a, a fixed point anymore. One call, call that 
a prefix point and the prefix point is defined with going with the um, how to say the inequation sign in in one direction if we would swap that around so writing like this so flipping around this inequation sign it would be called um, postfix point and we will see examples of that as well they work basically the same um, but what changes is that we are now interested in uh, this prefix point or a reaching definition and so on. We are interested in the least solution. If you are interested and we come to that, why you would that be interested in the largest solutions, um, you would go to a postfix point uh, setting. Uh, um, of course, if you would work with uh, an equational system, it doesn't matter. So you can be interested sometimes in the largest and sometimes in the uh, smallest. Uh, solution, but if you're um, interested in the largest fixed point, um, or in the, the least fixed point, let's say, like now for the reaching definitions, then if you prefer the um, constraint-based approach, you would have to be uh, the least prefix point. The largest prefix point uh, is not interesting. So, to say. anyway, um, that uh, is uh, the. Um, introductory part about the data flow um, analysis the, the the argument or the, the line of the lecture was well um, we know or we assumed basically we didn't explain it very much that you can handle abstract syntax of a simple form then we said well this is how you go from abstract syntax to a control flow graph we have not 100 percent explained it there will be a bit more details later in the in the chapter from the control flow graph we said well um, in the, for the specific case of reaching definition, this is a kind of questions that you ask about uh, data flowing through the program, in this case, the reaching definition information. Then we said, uh, well, uh, you can easily translate a control flow graph into an equation system, or if you want, and if you prefer that, in an inequation system. Uh, and then we said, um, given that inequation system, what it actually is, is a fixed point equation or a fixed point inequation or prefix point uh, uh, question. What we have not covered is, so far, there will be later stuff about that. How do you actually solve that? Uh, but not in this uh, introductory uh, chapter about data flow analysis. So that finishes um, this portion of the, um, of the lecture.